0: This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners.
1: There's always some mold that you should be breaking to see his glory break into whatever community that you're working in.
0: That's Aaron Jinn, growth hacker and political thought leader, on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. And we're here to help you put your faith to work and to bring your bold ideas to life. And uh, we have another terrific guest lined up for you on our show this week, don't we, Armin?
2: Oh, my goodness. I don't think people are ready for this. Aaron
0: Jin is an experienced Silicon Valley technologist. He's co-founder and president of Lincoln Network, an organization dedicated to expanding liberty by using technology and reforming government tech. I think you'll understand more when you listen to this episode. Aaron is both technologist and political wonk, and uh, he's just a... Terrific uh, young thought leader. In fact, he uh, worked on growth strategies for Everlane, Stumble Upon, and the Mitt Romney 2012 campaign. Uh, he is the co host of While We're on the Subject podcast. He was the youngest elected member of the Executive Committee of the Board of California and is listed on Forbes 30 Under 30 for law and policy in 2017. And with all that and all those accomplishments already. We want to welcome to the podcast, Aaron Jinn. Welcome, Aaron.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Well, glad to have you on board. Now, uh, you describe yourself as a growth hacker, and I'm sure quite a number of our listeners have no idea what a growth hacker is. So tell us, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, it was uh, a a hobby that turned into a career that turned into a movement, and now uh, we're sort of infamously known in the public sphere, as people who annoy other uh, annoy your friends, so, <laughs> so so essentially, so we started. Uh, so, growth hacking was a was a was a sort of subspecialty of product management in the technology world that focused on how to create things uh, to go viral and and how to design strategies and and product tactics to build in invite flows and sharing flows and and also build in the idea of marketing into your core product. And also when I say that we annoyed people's friends in the sense of like a lot of those invites you'd receive or a lot of the, the sort of scaremongering around addictive tech is built around a lot of these, these, these principles that we we advocated for. Uh, I guess now it would be, be about eight years ago or so.
0: Well, what's a good example of a, of a growth hacking technique that maybe the average person that isn't tech savvy might have seen?
1: Sure. So like whenever you sign up for a product, right, like they always ask you like, hey, follow this thing or, or do you like these interests or uh, they always have these onboarding flows. Right. And, and a lot of those are, are built around experiments that growth hackers have ran uh, in the sense of like if a person follows four interests, then they're 50 percent more likely to to hang around on the product uh, if they're if they're. If they're going to follow, if they follow 10 people, they're very likely to retain, or if they invite seven of their friends to a product, uh, they're, they're, they're likely to hang around and invite more of their friends. And, and so a, a growth specialist basically runs A B test experiments uh, to try to move up you know, long term retention or move up the number of people who are, who are joining a product. Uh, and, and then they build these things into the product to, to reinforce those loops. And the the most well-known example of a, a you know quote unquote growth hack would be the, the the Facebook discovery that you need to have seven friends in ten days uh, to retain on their product. And so that's where they build their entire product. Uh, if you're new to Facebook, which you know not many people in America are new to Facebook anymore, so they don't see it. But if you sign up for it, you'll see them constantly reinforcing to add friends to invite friends because they know that if you don't have that, they're not going to hang around on the product, regardless of how awesome, you know, the Facebook Marketplace is, or or whatever uh, new feature Facebook rolls out. The core of the product is connections between friends. Uh, so, so they they a growth person would build in invite flows, they would build in onboarding flows. They would promote uh, you know different call to actions for you to do, uh, so that you're more likely to retain at a product.
0: Wow, well, that's a lot of detail, but. I know that there's at least one person that just signed up for Facebook. and That was my older sister not too long ago, and she gets oh, wow. she gets creeped out when um, when Facebook does offer these kinds of suggestions because, like, how do they know these things about my life, you know, or my interests and things yeah. like that? So, and
1: and, and, uh, and all, that that was what based a lot of the industry uh, in, before I started writing about growth hacking was it was a unknown industry, and I and I became sort of the guy that that popularized a lot of these uh, these strategies and these terms. And so a lot of the things you're saying about to be creepy is built by a lot of growth people Mm -hmm. who try to build data profiles and individuals before they join. uh, And then, you know, the mapping your IP address, according to other IP addresses and like seeing your region and like what to, what to, to make it more clinical personalized. Sorry. The difference between creepy and personalization is a very fine line. Yeah. And, and the goal of, you know, a lot of product managers who are doing these different tactics the goal is is very um, it's very good in the sense that they want you to hang around they want you to, to find the more product more useful, but it's very quickly now drifting into especially in the public narrative uh, about that you know Facebook or Google or whoever knows too much information about me and you know I feel creeped out now
0: well, and of course we have the famous target example of uh, and knowing so much about their consumers buying behaviors that they send baby welcoming gifts to teenage girls that uh their parents don't know they're pregnant yet.
2: My yeah. friend is actually responsible for that.
0: <laughs> your friend no, is. responsible. Oh, Ryan sake. knows it very yeah. well. He
2: travels with them. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So it does get a little bit crazy. All right. So Aaron, you're you're you. you mentioned this was a hobby that became a, a, a career choice that became kind of a movement. That's pretty cool. But how have you taken what you have done for businesses and growth hacking? I'm just wondering about how do you how have you taken those concepts and maybe applied it to your own life? How have you done that to Growth hack yourself.
1: in the sense that, that why, why I thought this subspecialty of product development was so interesting uh, was the, the, the goal of a lot of growth is to, is to deeply understand individuals and to have a significant amount of empathy uh, for their situation. And, and I got hired to go work on the Mitt Romney campaign to do a lot of these various tactics and, and where the position I, I came from was trying to deeply understand how people think and behave and how they're responding to incentives and how I could change the incentives to achieve a different outcome. And, it, and in many ways, like you, you, you could think of the, the deep curiosity that extends from people who are working on growth that they can, they can extend to you know my, my deep love for philosophers, regardless if I actually agree with them or not. And so you see that in at least within the growth community, there is a very common common thread of people who do growth are actually deeply interested in people. And so the people interested, uh-huh. and people uh, and humans often can confuse, or should I say society, maybe in a more in a broader sense, more specific sense too, that being people interested isn't necessarily being friendly or being gregarious. Right? People interested is just like the the quality and the properties of human decision making. And, and that's something I studied in college when I when I uh, studied both uh, philosophy, religion and economics uh, and finance was these are all different frameworks about understanding how people make decisions and, and what motivates their decision making. Uh, and, and so I took a lot of those philosophical principles that I learned both in seminary and college uh, and I applied it a lot to, to product management, which was missing a lot of that. Uh, when I first joined the technology community there, there wasn't a, a strong emphasis on deeply understanding people in product development and technology hadn't gotten to that phase yet of inserting, you know, lessons you learn from behavioral, behavioral economics. So in many ways, like when I was writing about these ideas, it was like the first time that, the, or not the first time it was like, it was the early, early parts of, of this sort of intersection of psychology, behavioral economics and technology.
0: Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. How did go, – go back in time, and how did your inquisitiveness in this area begin? Talk about your early life.
1: Uh, so my – I would say that the two books that changed my life are uh, the Bible, and the second one was called The Terrible Truth About Liberals by Neil Bortz, uh, who's a uh, libertarian uh, radio show guy that was pretty popular in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, – I. Uh, you know, my 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 faith background in the sense of is is you know relatively non-existent. Uh, uh, my my family, my immediate and then broader family are agnostic to atheist. Uh, there's only a handful of, of of people who claim sort of any sort of faith, and okay. I grew up in a in a sort of faith agnostic world. And uh, but I was always interested in the in metaphysics and essentially the non-material. Uh, because I really, what really persuaded me was the theological argument of design that I was an artist and I like created, uh, I was very focused on the arts when I was growing up and in music specifically. And I saw that like, well, I make music, so I don't understand why the world would just be completely random, uh, which doesn't follow from, from the ability of appearance of design between nature and, and people and how the world works, et cetera, et cetera. So that always drew me towards uh, the, the perspective of that, that, that there had to be something more. And then I went into all the various world religions at that moment, and I ended up with the Judeo-Christian framework that this was the most probable explanation uh, for how the world works and like the purpose of humanity
0: and how old are you at this time when you're doing this
1: uh, I was about 16 to 17 okay so I was later in my high school okay uh, and and then I started going to church with one of my friends from Drumline and I went to church probably for three or four months okay so hang on a second
0: hang on a minute I'm trying to understand the the inner mind of Aaron for a second here so you're do I have the picture right you're a 16 17 year old kid who's studying world religions.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> unusual for well, first. So, were you so, dating well, at all? I mean, was there?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, um, so the my my parents said that I always was weird because when I was growing up, I would like constantly ask about why gas prices were going up, and she my mom said this. I, I kept asking this when I was three years old, and and I would <laughs> like keep asking her like economic questions, and she just thought it was very strange. And I like I got really interested in the History Channel. That was like my favorite channel growing up. Now uh, that's Madden not something channel. you
0: hear a lot of. I don't I yeah. often hear the History Channel being anybody's favorite channel, but especially yeah, when you're yeah. like growing up. That's great. And, and, Actually, it's
1: funny. And and then when I when I became a Christian, I always always joke that I was a History Channel Christian for a while <laughs> in terms of like all the conspiracy theories that they promote, right? Oh, sure. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but no, I have always been very intellectually curious and and uh very interested in ideas and frameworks.
0: Okay, so I got it. You you you're kind of an you've been an inquisitive kid since you <laughs> Why are gas prices going up, mommy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. Ask your dad. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So how did how did your uh, – you grew up in an agnostic environment. Correct. And basically did a r- world religion survey. And how did you settle then on Christ and Christianity as being the path?
1: Uh, one is that I thought it made the most consistent, complete argument about how the world works and what is the argument of, of humanity. When, when I when I did the, the the sort of you know survey around the world of uh, of religions, uh, and I was reading all these different different uh, manuscripts uh, from the various uh, major sects, and you know, specifically I read a lot about Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, and uh, Judeo-Christian. And Genesis one was the was the one passage really stuck out to me as making the the most uh, consistent argument with how uh, I saw how the world worked which is that there was a creator, there was a beginning. He created us for a purpose in the sense of being in relation to both nature and each other. And it was a, uh, even even the thinking about how they, that the word that the Trinity uses in uh, Genesis 1-3 through 3 about humans is that they're both physical, which is, you know, God makes man out of the the, the earth, the, the materials of the earth, but uses different Verbs and how it describes the creation of humans, right? And and like very specific uh, tonal changes mm-hmm. in that the sense of like humans when when God creates humans, that he he the, the words that are chosen there are basically like a, a a specific called out individual, like a specific thing that's unique, that's different, and and that's like subtle change is so unique among all the other world religions. Uh, that, that uh, it was very compelling to me that there's something unique about this. Uh, and then the more I read scripture, the more I attended church. And I saw that not only do you, uh, because faith doesn't come uh, just from thinking, right? I mean, the, there, there are a lot of major thinkers that were very pro-Christian, but were not Christian. I mean, a lot of the founding fathers of America fall in that category. The, you know, the current, current popularized Jordan Peterson, he fits in this category as well. Uh, people who believe that Judeo-Christian values and and scriptures make good people uh, and do good things and are probably more most likely true, but you have to experience the gospel as well. And when I went to church, I I actually saw the realness of the kingdom breaking into this world, mm. and and that is what persuaded me that the fact not only is this intellectually cogent, uh, it was an emotionally. Uh, rewarding and fulfilling. How did you and, see it
0: break into the world? What was what what stood out to you to say that that this is now not just an abstract or an intellectual theory, but something that's real and personal?
1: Uh, for, for for when I became a faith, it would, it would be definitely the unconditional love of another human being mm. that 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 embodies that can only come from the Holy Spirit that mm. that gives you such a sense of grace. And accommodation and uh, being hospitable to someone who has no blood relation to you, and, and I think that the the radical argument of Jesus is that blood doesn't matter, right? And that and that all of these institutions and things that humans design to to create meaning for themselves that are abstract and removed uh, from God that creates you know tribes and and groups and, and all these different factions because because. One of the one of the amazing desires that God gave us, right, is the sense of being in relation to each other. Right, Adam, it's bad for Adam to be alone. Like right. he wants us to be in community. Uh, but out of that, we we create fissures in society. Right. So we're in this constant battle between individuals and groups. And uh, and you see that Jesus comes in, breaks into the scene, and completely like destroys all of the the, the human like institutions uh, from the power perspective. Right. In the like all this stuff doesn't matter. Right everyone's the same, everyone needs God, and now you're part of the new family that completely breaks all the molds. And, and you read the end of, I think the, the last chapter of Romans is one of the most compelling chapters about the church. That There you have listed Jewish names, you have their Greek names, you have Roman names, you have rich people, you have poor people listed, and that all these people are in the church together, right? And, and I experienced that when I first became a Christian, of, of other people inviting me into their homes and treating me like their son, even when I had no blood relation to them.
2: Mm-hmm. So you, you, you said uh, you're making the point between the battles that take place between individuals and uh, different groups. Uh, one of the things that I see you being in, especially as a Christian, is you're in political groups, you're in Silicon Valley, you're just in circles that I I guess from my own personal perspective would not assume there would be a huge Christian culture in there, but you are clearly a uh, devout Christian and you know your stuff. What is that like being in those spheres where I would, again, assuming it's not a very Christian environment? Yeah,
1: that, that's a question I get a lot. And, and I, most of the time what I said is that what I say is that if you if you let God lead your life, uh, He is way more creative than you ever will be. Uh, ultimately, God wants individuals in heaven. Uh, he wants very colorful, unique people. I have no idea why. Uh, <laughs> you know, but but everyone has this weird like if you truly let yourselves be led uh, by by the Spirit, and, and, and people don't realize that that. When you read scripture, if you do like just a word study of scripture, uh, there, there, the word courage. Last time that I did this, this count appeared almost 450 times in both the Old and New Testament, and, and it appears a ton in Psalms too. Like, wait for the Lord, be courageous, stand, stand firm. Right, the first chapter of Joshua, uh, God, I believe, uses some form of courageous, stand firm nine times in the first chapter Joshua. And, and this is all about when they're about to enter the promised land. I mean, think about uh, the Great Commission, right? Uh, stand firm. Uh, like, go out, proclaim the name. Lo, I'll be with you to the end of days. Like, there, there is uh, so much about Scripture about being courageous. And, and so what does that assume? It assumes that the world is against you, right? So... Like there's yeah. something pushing against you that you have to be called into, yeah, uh, and that you need to be, you know, pushing back against, yeah. Uh, and and I think that uh, that a lot of Christians assume that they're when they when they either when they're following faithfully in Jesus, that their life was going to be easy, or that to be Jesus means they're to be Jesus means to live in the suburbs or whatever. Like and <laughs> and, and and it doesn't.
0: I live in the suburbs. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and like the suburbs are great. Like it's a great, <laughs> right. you know, it's a great uh, ability or sorry, it's a great tool to increase mobility uh it it's a the in terms of as according to the most recent data, the most racially integrated areas in America are suburbs uh the greatest the least amount of um uh wealth inequality in suburbs uh like the suburbs are great so but but people will think that well, this is just the suburbs is christianity right christian yeah. christian dome or whatever yep. or the land of christians right and in reality, it's like no like wherever you are. Regardless, and and the the two industries you you listed are very hostile to Christians. I mean, if you watch the episode, it was two weeks ago, of Silicon Valley, where, yes, right. that was such a very accurate perspective, in my opinion, of how Christians are viewed in Silicon Valley. But also in politics, that that wherever you are, even if you're in, quote-unquote, hostile zones, even in Texas, where I'm from, is a hostile zone. There, Christians should be talking about greed, should be talking about... Nuclear family and how people are obsessed just with their own family, or that they think their kids should all go to Harvard or whatever. Like, all oh, these are all things that affect and plague even in a, in a more open and welcoming culture of Christianity. I, I would actually say that 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 ministry in hostile zones is way easier because there's no and there's no incentive, right? So whenever I meet someone wearing a cross, I'm like, okay, that person's a Christian, because there's like there's no incentive for them to be Christian, and it's super easy because. Literally, I could just throw a stone and they don't believe, and I can just talk to them about Jesus, right? <laughs> uh, and, and also it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a factor of, of, uh, being, I've always been contrarian. So, yep. uh, I, I just naturally was propelled into these industries because I, I like being different in around people who are all the same. That is the argument that Christ is making too. Uh, Is that you should be radically different in whatever zone you're in, right, and whatever world you're in? Because all of the world needs the redemption of the King, Uh, and it doesn't matter if they're more pro-Christian or anti-Christian or hostile or that stuff. Like, there's always some mold that you should be breaking to see His glory break into whatever community that you're working in.
0: This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, of course, we love our corporate sponsors, but I really love it when we have an episode that's sponsored by our listeners.
2: Absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree with you. It's the best compliments we ever get is knowing that people are out there that want to invest in this to keep this going.
0: And I think everybody knows, I hope by now, that we are doing this as really as a passion project. Neither of us take any money from it. In fact, it costs us more than we are getting even in sponsorships to put this program out on the air so every little bit helps
2: that's right so if you want to help invest in this and keep this thing going we'd love to see your support just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate and remember every
0: donation you make is a tax-deductible contribution and comes from the bottom of our heart a sincere thank you You know, I really like what you said about the number of times word courage is used in the Bible infers that that is expected. In fact, I think the Bible's pretty clear about expecting persecution, expecting hardship, and that we're not to live this comfortable life. So in many ways, you know, you kind of decided to go and live in hostile territory as kind of a way of keeping yourself sharp, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, 2 Timothy 3 says that, the, you know, those that... Uh, seek to live a righteous life will be persecuted yeah right will be <laughs> it's not optional right and, and if you're not being persecuted uh, and of course Paul is never welcoming hey someone come beat me today right? It's, right of right. course he's not saying that right right but but, but he, what he's saying is that like if even if you're in a in a um, a positive uh, or you're in your community in your culture in a society that's very positive on Christianity which most of America is, like, and it, it still doesn't, it still means that you, you, that doesn't mean that it stops there, right? And I think a lot of Christians, because they think that quote unquote America is a Christian nation, which I don't think is accurate, uh, that we're sort of, we're done. And in reality, like if you look at actually church attendance in the early colonies, most history, historians are now thinking that it was probably between like weekly church attendance was probably around like 10%. Uh, so totally believe that the country was, was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. That I think that's very accurate. It is not accurate to say we are a quote-unquote Christian nation. I don't even know what that means either. Like, I think that that that's like a weird pairing of words that I don't know how they mix together and, and how, like, Jesus didn't come to build a worldly kingdom. I thought that was his core argument. Like, he is, not, he is the new David. He is not King David.
0: I'm curious. I uh, went to school in what I would consider to be a fairly hostile culture, or perhaps one that wasn't as aligned toward Christian values, and that was uh, the campus of the University of Colorado at Boulder. And, uh, you know, that there's a lot of world religions there, a lot of different ways of thinking. And what I found was the church that was there, the churches that were there, the Christian churches, seemed to be more on fire. And many of the Christians that were there seemed to be more dedicated in their faith. And are you finding that in Silicon Valley and in the political spheres that you're in?
1: Uh, Ross did that, who's a uh, one of my favorite columnists for the New York Times, he has written about this a handful of times that the, if you look at church attendance for those who are more uh, worldly, mainline churches would fit in that category. Significant decline versus more distinct churching churches like you know charismatic churches to Southern Baptist to non-denominational churches. They're actually either flat or increasing. Uh, and the popularity of both the charismatic branches and Mormonism, he argued, as I, I would argue as well, that the reason why they're so prolific is that they they have a distinctness about what they're arguing, that that they're they're saying we're not of this world and we're completely different, and you should follow this this other culture, this other way of way of life. There was there was a book written um, by an atheist and a Catholic uh, uh, two editors of the Economist called God Is Back, and and their whole. Their whole argument is that, one, is that the church uh, in religion is growing significantly in second and third world countries, uh, and it may be declining in Europe, uh, but even in America, they said, it is, a, is an example of, of a unique blend of both wealth, prosperity, freedom, and faith. And and that other countries, uh, like Korea is another example They highlight that you know, even if uh, in, in, it's not necessarily correlated to just, just freedom alone, but the fact is, like that, that, that they said there's something about faith that uh, that is when it's very distinct from 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 the cultures around them that they they have this sort of thriving mentality um, because it is so just culturally distinct. Um, so I, I there's there's actually another book too that came out recently that talked about the how the the, the resurgence. of of religion around the world, and that you would think that people would remember that historically, this is actually very common. Philosophers over and over again have argued the death of religion. Uh, I mean, Nietzsche argued this. uh, So it's not new, but for some reason, whenever the new atheist came around, everyone thought that like, oh, it's really over, science is gonna take over. (laughs) No, this has been a consistent debate in society and in thinkers uh, it's not new, as Ecclesiastes would say. Nothing is new under the sun, and mm-hmm. I really believe that there is nothing. Everything is just a different, uh, you know, euphemism metaphor of something that was in the past. Because ultimately, humans—that's the only way we understand information—is through metaphors of other things and other people. Right? When someone says to you, uh, "Aaron is like X Y Z person," or "Aaron likes these other things," like, as and reads these books," or "or watches these movies," those are all. Metaphors and the signals for me, you to understand who I am, because that's how we communicate. And so, naturally speaking, therefore, uh, things are naturally not new. Everything is a derivative of another thing.
0: Aaron, I'd like to I'd like to bounce back to uh, an earlier comment you made about uh, the courage to live in hostile territory. I imagine there's maybe some of our listeners that are living a fairly comfortable lifestyle, and they might be thinking that God might be calling them to do something that might set them in a more hostile environment than they're used to. And I'm just wondering what practical suggestions would you have for them? Uh, being somebody that's in several, oh, you know, fairly hostile communities or maybe toxic or non-receptive or less receptive to the gospel, how, what, what practical suggestions would you have for them to orient their mindset and be prepared to move forward in that way? And maybe to express some courage. And to do so
1: yeah uh i would say that one like don't view courage like hollywood views courage I mean, just because you know people are on tv talking about jesus doesn't mean that they're necessarily being more courageous than you know the person in your local community who is adopting children fostering them serving the poor like and giving all of their wealth away uh to serve to be the hands and feet of Jesus, so I think that there's there's one there's a bias that to be courage, to be courageous, I should say, uh, is like what they show in the movies. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't think that that's accurate in like what Scripture presents. The second is that the courage is isn't really you, right? It, it's not just you. Like the, the courage comes from a foundation based in God, mm. and like that that's why when 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 the Bible speaks to courage. It, it speaks. It's always connected to the Lord. It's not, "Hey, Joshua, be courageous," and, and that's it. And it, it, it just stops there. No, it says, "Like be courageous in Him, stand firm in My Word, right?" Yeah, it, or it, "For it, I
0: am with you," right? Yeah, all right. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, exactly. So, so courage isn't just you and your own like free will and your own strength going out and trying to conquer for the kingdom. No, mm-hmm. it's like really resting. In the Lord, and the Lord's going to do it for you, right? Because naturally, as as uh, as we previously we discussed about the verses that that talk about you will be persecuted, like no one is greater than his own master, right? Jesus's words. Uh, The Lord's already doing it for you, right? All you do is like be who you already called, like Ephesians. I believe it's Ephesians four, the end of chapter four. You, the old self. Was corrupted by its deceitful desires. Go to your new self, which is which is created uh, by God in righteousness. Like you, you are already this new thing, right? Forget like. But but what we Christians struggle is they the, the only thing we understand because before we were saved was our old self, mm-hmm. so we so we naturally go back into the cage, even when the door is already open and we're outside. We look back into the cage of, of sin and our old self because that feels comfortable to us. But the new self is pushing back against that. It, it's, 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 it's constantly trying to sanctify and, and redeem us. So I would say, like, let go of whatever that thing is. Like, the process of sanctification in, in the way I verbalize it to people is the, the consistent act of letting God uh, into parts of your life. Mm-hmm. And that when you accept Christ, you're essentially giving over some part of your life to Him. And for me, when I first became Christian, it was the fact I was loved regardless of anything, any works I contributed. I can cannot earn my love, uh, and like He loves me now. And and I think that as you sanctify yourself, you give over these parts to God for Him to break break in and let that light in to where you can be healed. And then when you as you do that, you're naturally going to be more and more courageous. Uh, Courage, if, if, if courage to you is like this this huge up you know uplift like oh my god it's gonna be so hard to courageous. that's like you're not doing it right then right it just as it says i'm sure you've had other people on the show talking about uh you know work and and spiritual flourishing like if you're doing something and you're working on it and it's a drudge you're like yeah obviously god probably did not call you to do that
0: yeah exactly you know? aaron how can our listeners learn more about you
1: as uh, so you can follow me on twitter uh, i'm Usually fairly active. Uh, you'll find that I do not troll anybody, so uh, <laughs> so I'm a very different Twitter user. But I I, I tweet a lot. Um, you can listen to a podcast I host with uh, Ryan buffet where we talk a lot about politics and faith and 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 work. Uh, you and also that's see the and, while
0: you, while we're on the subject podcast.
1: Yeah, while we're on the subject. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're if you're into a a policy political wonk like myself, randomly listening off random. Random philosophers, then then you'll like that show uh, with History
0: Channel nuggets thrown in, right?
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, if and in my recommendation to those to those Christians who you know want to be more engaged civically, uh, I, I would say that that you this is what so I actually just gave this talk recently to to a collection of uh, Christian entrepreneurs that that if if you think that the 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 way in which we are going to change America to to positive things, right? Like from more church growth to more people who believe in Christ to serving serving the least of these. If you think it's gonna come from a politician, then you have been seriously duped by the system. Right? All most of these politicians who claim Christian Christianity and all that stuff, it is not sincere. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a political maneuvering to to it's, it's either- a
0: segment they're marketing to.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right. It doesn't mean that, like, one. This is where Christians sort of break break away. It doesn't mean one that that's necessarily, uh, like, there's an assumption I think in in Christians who participate in politics or who are involved that their politician is is their pastor. That is not the argument of America. Do I want my politicians to be moral individuals? Absolutely. But. Go through the history of of the presidency. Just as an example, yeah. I'll, I I would argue probably a third of them were were obviously not people of faith, mm-hmm. and then probably you could almost reach a half of them were people that had maybe mediocre Thomas it, because the, think about the the the, the founding five. I mean ben, ben Franklin is considered probably the most the quote unquote atheistic of all all of the the founders. You know, never read the Bible, didn't go to church, and stuff, but believe that. Um, God wants to be moral. Yeah, that there will there is heaven and hell, and that He was providential in the creation of America. That's not someone who's necessarily a Christian. Uh, it's not someone who's an atheist, but it's somebody who's pro uh, theism, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the disposition of America. It's like we need, as Christians, we need to be promoting theism, but but the expectation that that the people who work in our political system historically has never been the fact that they're Christian. And, and I think that there's this weird sort of obsession uh, of, of American Christians that there's much more mimetic of, of political progressives than classical liberals, who, which I think is the argument of, of the Bible. Uh, then, so, so, so on the podcast, we talk about that. I, I you know, write on occasion. Uh, but if you follow me on Twitter, then, then you can get most of that.
0: Uh, that's great. So, Aaron, last question for you. What is your next bold idea?
1: Well, I would say this is not very controversial, but it's people have forgotten this. The future will be much better than you think it is today.
0: And I've always heard the future is not what it used to be. <laughs>
1: but, well, but but there's there's this weird fetish now that the world's going to be, the future's going to be dark and like everyone's going to have a job. And like the the arc of history, which is a greater tale of humanity than, I mean, the Bible is basically a history. The, the, arc, of, the arc of history is that we continue to uh, the world continues to become a better place, becomes generally becoming more free, uh, becomes more prosperous and that technology helps us in that process of, yeah. of making the world cleaner, uh, giving people more, more comfort, protecting them from the environment, uh, healing sicknesses like this I think that is the future. Uh, it, it's, it's not a end of the world scenario and, and I think for those who argue that, they're inserting their their metaphysics, and they don't realize they're doing it. Versus the historical count is that the just like the market, like over time, you know, for looking at the the window horizon of the market as the window horizon for history. Generally speaking, things will always become better. Yeah, and and I think that's because just as there's specific grace, there is general grace, mm-hmm. and that came from Christ mm-hmm. that, that he through his, his work, and through our work of being salt and light, are constantly redeeming the world to become his new home.
0: That's a great word, Aaron. And I can't be thankful enough for guys like you who are putting their faith to work and being hope in, a, in places that are <laughs> sometimes uh, seemingly hopeless. And uh, we just applaud your efforts and just honor you for that. And uh, just thank you again for being on our show.
1: Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me. It's right. fun.
0: Well, I mean that Aaron guy certainly learned a lot from the history channel
1: yeah that's that's the,
2: that's all that happened huh? you just watched the history channel <laughs> The guy's a genius man he's I'm telling you I mean, it's it's prolific the amount he knows about theology and politics and technology. I mean, it's, that, this guy's a freak of nature. Holy I'm getting God. the
0: impression you could just, you know, have a dinner with him and just like start taking
2: notes. I didn't want to talk. I just, I just, <laughs> <laughs> just want to keep going. <laughs> like my, yeah, I, any, my IQ is going up. Just keep talking. Exactly. <laughs> and anything
0: that you have, might have to say, just bring the conversation, the IQ down. Yeah. Right? I
2: don't want to dumb down the conversation. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I, I wasn't picking on you with that. I was identifying well, with you. No, I'm with you either way. So, <laughs> Well, I really enjoyed where this conversation went, and um, especially uh, struck by his command of Scripture. Really, you know, for a young man—I mean, think about it—here he's sixteen or seventeen to survey world religions and just kind of come to that, yeah, and then to decide intellectually that's where he's going to proceed, and then to be transformed really through the the proven. Um, demonstration of unconditional love and mm-hmm. that whole idea of accepting into family. Now, so just think about this for a second. You know, if, if a guy like that, who is parsing all the world religions, thinking it through to figure out what had the most, in his view, cogent view of the world and how things operated, would come to a decision then that, that uh, Christianity should be explored and what nailed it for him was the unconditional love of someone to basically say, "Hey, you're accepted. You're part of family, even though you're not family." Mm-hmm. And he talked about the blood of Christ. Really, there is no individuals, and Scripture says there's no Jews or Greeks or anything else. Think about all the people who don't go through that intellectual assessment. Right. They don't take the the uh, the the process that he did of parsing all the options, mm-hmm. choosing the option, and then experiencing it. Yeah. But just think about the power really of the Holy spirit in terms of accepting grace one to another to bring someone who maybe hasn't even gone through all that rationalization to understand, yeah. Hey, that, you know, that's really accessible. So the gospel is neat and that it's accessible to both those who've, who've done the rigorous evaluation and said, Hey, this is the right thing. And those who haven't, they've only experienced the love of Christ experientially. Yeah. And then they come to discover the truth of it as they grow in the knowledge of God. And yeah. I just think that it's a great illustration of somebody who's taken uh, a real hard look at the religions to see what they yeah. offer and find, hey, at the same point, the intersection is the same, whether you're learned and analytic and go through all that or, or you don't. Yeah. It's the same experience of, of seeing the transforming work of God in somebody else's life that yeah. makes the difference.
2: It's yeah, he 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 delivered that in a way that not only communicates to a believer but he he communicates that in a way that it appeals to the atheist and the agnostic as well. You know, it's it's as ex, it is as experiential as it is a logical decision for him and he just appeals to the heart and mind. He, he's just he's just very uniquely gifted. I was really impressed.
0: Yeah. And I love what he had to say about courage and his assessment and knowledge of the scriptures as it relates to, you know, it's, there's not just an implication, but there's also a direct expression that we are to expect hostility. We are to expect hard times. Yeah. And that's really what, you know, we're trying to highlight in this show is that we need to get outside of our comfort zone, find a way to get outside of our yeah. <laughs> this suburban homes yeah. you know to experience the fact that uh, uh there is so much more for us out there when yeah. we put our faith to work and we trust god for it and i love what he had to say about holly not and you know, it's not hollywood courage
2: yeah i'll say this if uh and i don't think i've ever said this about anyone else but if aaron decided to live in the world of apologetics he he is the future, future Ravi Zacharias. And I think he would be even more compelling than a Ravi Zacharias. He, he would be the Ravi Zacharias of my generation. And this guy would be an incredibly compelling apologist.
0: Well, you got a bold idea for Aaron.
2: Man, he would kill it. He would absolutely kill it. But he's like a tech guy. It's so weird. And he's a political guy. Like, ah, can't wrap my brain around this guy. He's just everywhere but he does it all well you know yeah. he's the type of guy you love to hate because you can't play on that level he's the, that's 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 Aaron to me
0: yeah well we, we just celebrate people who are gifted like that and celebrate Aaron and a good reminder for all of us that god has wired each of us uniquely he's wired us each with our own objective and and purpose in life and what we're to go after and get and the one thing that keeps us from doing that oftentimes is our fear of trusting him and moving outside of our comfort zone. And just take maybe the words that uh, Aaron was talking about with respect to courage. God is with you, and he will not forsake you, and you can go be strong and be courageous. And I hope that you find inspiration in that. Well, I hope also that you uh, would uh, join us on our show page at boldideapodcast.com slash 68. Let us know what you think of this episode. And uh, certainly you'll find the links to Aaron's Twitter feed and to the podcast that he mentioned and to other uh, ways to reach Aaron uh, on that page. And uh, we'd also love for you to leave a comment for us there or at our show line at 612-568-IDEA or 612-568-4332. Well, that's all that we have for this week. And so this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Saying so long and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the
1: Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit BoldIdeaPodcast.com.